was discovering something. Exactly. My thanks to Anthony Satin, Pauline Sanderson and Thant Mint Next week on Excess Baggage, I'll be exploring the idyll of rural Italy. Until then, good morning. The presenter was John McCarthy and the producer Harry Parker. And for more details on today's programme, the Excess Baggage web pages can be found at bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4, where you can also sign up for the podcast. Well, Punt PI is next this morning. First, though, if you were given a Cynornithosaurus, would you A, eat it, B, run away from it, or C, look up a word in it? Here's a clue. Our incredible planet on the BBC. A golden age of discovery has unearthed a new world of dinosaurs. Like the bizarre pigeon-sized Epidexipteryx, which had long fingers and ornamental tail feathers. Or the venomous gliding predator Cynornithosaurus that swooped through the trees. These peculiar creatures blurred the boundary between dinosaurs and birds. Planet Dinosaur, more monstrous than you ever imagined. Repeated on Sunday afternoon at a quarter past four on BBC One and BBC One HD. This is BBC Radio 4. And now Steve Punt continues his assignment as Radio 4's very own gumshoe. It's another case for Punt P.I. This is Punt's private eye. I'm not here right now. Please leave a message. Punt, Tracy, got a little something for you. One I looked into myself back in the 80s. We called it The Curse of the Crying Boy. A painting of a sad little fellow which was recovered from the charred remains of numerous house fires. Back then, the trail went cold, but the internet has brought some rather interesting new evidence to light. I want you to reopen the case and bring me the answers that eluded us 25 years ago. A word to the wise, though, Punt. In matters concerning the occult, tread carefully. I'd been hoping for an open and shut case. This sounded more like an open and nut case. Some yarn about a cursed painting? With Fred, Daphne and Velma not available, it looked as if it was just me and Scooby. Together, we checked out Tracy's story. I started by going back through the cuttings. And I quickly realised he hadn't been kidding. Son, story reporting crying boy paintings are jinxed. Yorkshire Fireman is quoted saying copies of The Crime Boy were frequently found at scenes of fires. The mid-80s was the heyday of the Sun newspaper's eye-catching headlines from Gotcha to Freddie Star, and I soon discovered that they'd gone very big on this story. There's, there's dozens of these. Or should I say, Private Snoop in tabloid scoop shock. Dora Mann from um, Mitchum, Sarah Kraske from Kilburn and a friend. Linda Fleming from Leeds. It seemed The Crying Boy was a popular painting in the era when leg warmers were a popular fashion item. Daily Mail, 24th of October. Shropshire Star, 26th of October. Portsmouth News. Staring out of the pages of the papers was a strange image of a sad-eyed, tear-stained child. And there were dozens of baffling teary tot jinx blazes. Sorry, a large number of stories involving house fires in which the crying boy seemed to be involved. I wanted to verify them, but that wasn't going to be easy over a quarter of a Hello? century later. Um, yes, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm trying to get hold of... Oh, hi, I'm trying to find the number for, um... A I just wondered if Linda Fleming... 
Um, there's no Dora Man. It was proving hard to track down any of the householders involved. Do you know she did live there? But I needed to find a witness, if only to prove that the crying boy hadn't been framed. And then, a lucky break. Hello? I tracked down Jane McCutcheon from Nottingham, who owned the painting back in the 80s. I just thought it was appealing, it was beautiful. It's got the most gorgeous face. And I just fell in love with it, so this is why I bought it. And, and where did you where did you put it? Where did you hang it? Above the fire in the lounge. Ah. But one night in 1982, Jane's love affair with the crying boy picture turned sour. If I remember right, I'm sure it was around May, May time, right. yes. I was cleaning the kitchen floor and my two younger children was in the lounge watching television and my youngest little girl, who was two, two and a half at the time, came into the kitchen and she couldn't talk very well at the time and I thought oh I better get up Ooh, and when I walked into the room there it was the fire I just couldn't believe my eyes it was a blaze it was touching the ceiling it was like a, an inferno let's say oh, I was shaking like a leaf believe me Jane and her family all escaped the fire unharmed but the damage to the house was extensive. Just had a new three-piece that burnt. Uh, I made my own curtains; they burnt. The Venetian blinds they melted. But the painting wasn't even burnt. You could still see the little boy's face on the picture. It was unscathed. It was, yes. The painting was not only unscathed; it was the reaction of the firemen that was really surprising. He went, "Oh no." not another that's what he turned around and said remarking on the picture of the crying boy this is what you know he turned around and said and this was when we said oh i wonder if it had anything to do with the fire was it a curse or was it you know a coincidence but it wasn't that what concerned me is what came after the fire i had several incidents oh really i did yes Jane then recounted a series of incidents which occurred in the years following the fire. Whether this was a coincidence or was it nature or was it a curse, but, you know, things like that happening in the same house, you know, was a bit scary really at the time because something did happen to me and I don't really want to talk about it on the air. I'd rather talk to you in private. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and obviously it, <laughs> it's very frightening. And it became oh, right. clear that yeah. the crying boy still looms large in Jane's life. So would you have that picture in your house again? No. Right. No, certainly not. I don't think any fool would have to go in through that. No. I wish I never bought the picture. For the victims, the story was no joke. But how could the painting and the fires be related? Blaze boffins tight-lipped, says Fleet Street. Sorry, I mean, rational explanations appeared hard to come by. So there was only one thing for it. I needed first-hand evidence, and that meant finding a crying boy for myself. But where could I find one? Oh, hi. Um, Oxfam. I just, I'm, I'm trying to get hold oh, of... Oh, hi. Is that Sue Ryder Shop? Oh, hello. Is that the British Heart Foundation? A crying boy isn't easy to buy all these years later. You haven't seen any. You don't, have you ever had... Do you ever get them in? Oh, OK. Right, but you know the one I mean. The charity shops seem to be out of crying boys. Maybe much. they'd all Bye. been consumed in mysterious fires. Fortunately, though, this 1980s object appeared uh, via 21st okay. century technology. Uh, right, OK. eBay. Search. Crying boy. 
and haha, look. A seller in the East End of London was offering via the internet not one, but a pair of crying boy portraits. And what's more, it was 10 quid for both. The seller wouldn't post them, so I had to go and collect it myself. I set off through Docklands on the train on a journey literally into the unknown. Let's go and get the painting. I'd set off in good time. Oh, hi, is that Bernard? And yet everything seemed to be running late. Was something trying to stop me getting there? Did some unknown power want me not to see this painting? Uh, now, is this Tollgate Road? I think this is Tollgate Road. I entered case. a labyrinth of streets, to beginning to wonder if fate had decided I should never find the crying boy. Uh, and now, uh, right, hurry away, that's right. But then, at the next turn... Ah, we're going near close. Here we are. This is it. As I prepared myself to knock on the door, I couldn't help but feel nervous. I didn't think I was superstitious, but the prospect of looking into the eyes of the crying boy was making me reconsider. What lay beyond that innocent-looking front door? Hello, Hello Bernard. Hi, yeah. Actually, an innocent-looking picture seller. paintings off your hands. Right, I got them just here. Ah, right. I quickly realised he had them sitting right in the hall almost as if he couldn't wait to get rid of them. Oh, there we go. That's the two of them. They're right here. And there's... They're, um, they're slightly bigger than I thought, actually. Uh, OK. So, so why are you selling them now? One of my daughters, she wouldn't stay here with them, with them up. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. The first When I first got them, like, years and years ago, I had them up on the wall. Yeah. But only for a matter of about a couple of weeks. Right. And then when she's come round, she said, look at it, mm, I don't like that. But people say that they can, you can have them hanging up and people can actually look at them and in a matter of time you could see tears running down. Miraculous. Did you turn them towards the wall then or were they facing outwards? Yeah, they were like just like that. Ah, they were turned towards the wall. Yeah, okay. I just left them that way. Best not take well, the risk. No one in the family wanted them. I've got a bag for them. So, uh, all right, there we go. That's fine. I was trying That's to sound confident. There we go. Proud possessor of the paintings were in a bag so as not to spook any passers-by, and from now on, these notorious artefacts were my responsibility. Uh, right, OK. Uh, well, thank you very much, That's uh, right. Fern. Thanks a lot. And, and Rarely had I bought something with less relish. Okay, Great. Thanks very much. I made my way back to the railway station, noticing as I went that just carrying the picture made me hyper-aware of the potential disaster around me. Painters up ladders, people mowing lawns, pedestrian crossings, all of them suddenly transformed from everyday things into scenes from the Omen. It was either the power of suggestion or the power of something much, much darker. I planned to take my painting to an East End gallery where I hoped I might get some more information on the watery-eyed waif and the story behind him. As I boarded the train, I was conscious that the passengers around me had no idea of what I was carrying. And I wondered if there were any rules about taking cursed objects onto public transport. OK, take all your belongings and especially your pictures. Arriving in Hoxton in East London, I looked for the White Cube Gallery. Okay. Ah, over there is a, is a white building. And on it, it says White Cube. Those two things seem to suggest I was in the right place. A place famous for hosting the works of the Enfant Terrible of the art world. And I had my own Enfant Terrible tucked under my arm.
I'd arranged to meet director of exhibitions, Tim Marlowe. Inside, they were hanging a new exhibition. I wondered whether Tim might consider including a crying boy. What did he think of my purchase? Breathtaking. My finely tuned instincts told me he wasn't being entirely sincere. Do you know, I've for even forgotten how mawkish and kitsch and sentimental these pictures are. It just begs the question, why would you want to have an image of a crying child in your house? I mean, on, on the walls of an art gallery where it had some kind of critical detachment, it said something about the uh, life cycle and the inevitability of death, maybe. But why would you want to put this on your wall? It has a kind of sentimental um, depression over the place. In fact, I'd like you to turn it round. I'm, I'm feeling rather sad. I want to wipe the tear off his little cheek. Not a fan, then, Tim. Isn't this brilliant that on the back it says, um, uh, Childhood, copyright, Prince for Pleasure. The notion that pleasure is yeah. to be gleaned by a child from with a, a tear rolling down its face. It's kind of disturbing because his face is larger than life and fills the frame of a canvas that's about 30 centimetres by perhaps 80 or 90. And his right shoulder's turned towards us. He's got two gloopy tears rolling down his cheeks. He's got rather neatly coiffed brown hair and a little blue jacket. Funnily enough, although you'd imagine that, that his tear-ridden, light-caught eyes are the things that most draw you to the work. In fact, it's this beautifully reproduced signature at the bottom that says Bragoline, um, that's fairly dominant, actually, in the bottom right-hand corner. And, and that's the artist Giovanni Bragoline, um, otherwise known as Bruno Amadio, I think, and I think he had one or two other pseudonyms too. Aha! Art criticism over. Now we were getting somewhere. I was hoping that Tim could give me a portrait of the artist. How much else is known about this Bragoline? Well, not much, given the fact that he produced 20 or 30 of these crying boy pictures, in, I think in the 60s and 70s, that had quite a big distribution. He was Spanish-born, he came from Seville. I think he was trained in Venice after the war. He was an academically trained artist. I think he spent his, his latter years in Padua reasonably comfortably off. I think he made a, a reasonable amount of money out of these and died in 1981. He was born in 1911, died in 1981. And that's about the sum total of, of, of what we know about him. Despite his paintings adorning the walls of thousands of British homes by the 80s, it seems Bragoline is a bit of an enigma. But what of his creation and its supposed powers? My next appointment was at the home of someone I felt sure would be able to set me on the right track. Welcome to Weybridge. Kelvin McKenzie. Right. The first crying boy stories in the file had all come from the sun, and so had many follow-up articles about the mysterious phenomenon. So I wondered whether the paper's then editor might be interested to see my copy of the portrait in question. Do you mind having this object in the house? In that blue bag. Well, oh, that's a good point. Well, is, is it gone? Are you going to it get is. it out? Do you want me to get it Absolutely out? Absolutely get okay. it out. Fantastic. Unbelievable. There it is. <laughs> Presumably you haven't had this actually in your house before. <laughs> no, I I'll tell you what, Duke. No, I can't. We can't have it in the house doing the interview. It's too dangerous. What we'll do is we'll open the door and have it in the porch. Yeah? <laughs> is that fair enough? Yeah, all right. Yeah, so it, 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 it's, it's <clears throat> within the environs of the house, but it, it's not in the house. I'm not actually risking my, uh, you know, my, my hard-earned cash. With the painting banished to the threshold of the property, I asked Kelvin where the legend of the crying boy had begun. The original story came from a news agency, and it was... It's not a big story at all. There was a fire in a house which seriously damaged a house and a fireman was then quoted by an 
a news agency reporter as saying this is because this picture and it was a crime boy picture was in the house and this isn't the first time we've seen it so now you've got a fireman saying the minute you've got the fireman saying it suddenly the light bulb goes on hello this was a story and as that story took off kelvin had an idea we felt we were doing sun readers a good turn by saying look let us try and stop your house potentially burning down <laughs> why don't you send to us all your crying boy pictures and we will have a bonfire of them we run this taps into the psyche the readers become part of it and we literally get swamped in crying boy pictures did you have the picture up as a kind of talisman personally i was far too superstitious to take a risk under my editing the sun was in quite enough stuck without burning the blinking building down or even tempting fate so actually we refused point blank to have the pictures on the wall and i mean obviously the, there was this supposed mystery about the fact that this painting seemed to survive when everything else in the room was charred to a cinder. Do you know if anyone ever, anyone got to the bottom of that? Who knows? There comes a point, there comes a point when you research a story too deeply, the story, as, as you keep on asking more and more questions about it, the story actually disappears. And before you know where you are, we're all sitting there, it's ten to five, we haven't got a front page lead, and the story's just collapsed. So yeah. some stories are too good to check. It was great fun. And everybody was joining in on it. I, I would. Someone spotted the painting on the doorstep. <laughs> they have. And they Good lord! Moved. Hold on. <laughs> They've seen the smoke. They've seen the smoke. Don't go. As Don't Kelvin went off to check his porch wasn't on fire, I wasn't sure where to turn next. Boy. But then I remembered what Tracy had said about the internet bringing new evidence to light. After a few quick searches, I soon found what he meant. Yeah, now, this is interesting. The painting yeah. now seems to have a whole backstory which was never mentioned in the press reports of the 80s, and it goes something like this. The boy in the paintings was actually an urchin found wandering the streets of Madrid in 1969. A Catholic priest identified him as Don Bonillo, a local child who had run away after seeing his parents die in a fire. Wherever he went, fires would mysteriously break out for no discernible reason, and because of this, he was known as Diablo. And it got worse. In 1976, a car crashed and exploded on the outskirts of Barcelona. The victim was charred beyond recognition, but a driving license in the glove compartment was only partly burned. And then came the denouement. The name on the license was that of a 19-year-old male named Don Bonillo. The story certainly seemed in keeping with the period. It was exactly like an episode of Tales of the Unexpected. Could it be a case of a portrait of the arsonist as a young man? Was the lacrimose brushstroke urchin actually a twisted fire starter? I remembered Kelvin McKenzie's sage words of advice. Some stories are too good to check. Which is a shame, since it meant missing the Jinx Tots high-speed death plunge fireball horror. So I decided I would check it anyway. Since everyone involved in the story is apparently dead, in various dramatic ways, my research would require specialist help. We are now approaching Shoreham by Sea. 
It was there that I tracked down two specialists. Sir Ralph Harvey, pagan exorcist and Wiccan high priest, had agreed to take a look at the painting. As you're coming, I, I had already conducted a healing ritual for the protective ritual. You probably noticed the incense and the candles burning when you came in. Just in case, we never know quite what we're going to see or expect. Sir Ralph had also invited someone else along, psychic medium Annie Mills. I can actually feel the difference in the energy in here already, and I haven't actually looked at that painting. Well... Shall I take it out then? It's currently wrapped up in a plastic bag. But you can still feel the energy. Right. And the energy is actually making my hand shake. I'm going to take the painting out of the bag. Annie, if you don't mind, if you want to actually take the painting, I'll put I'll it I'll take there. it and I, I, won't be, I don't want to look at the painting at the moment. I just want to hold my hands above it. That's fine. Just leave that with me for a few minutes. Ralph, what, what's your immediate reaction to the to the painting? There's certainly the painting conveys a great degree of sadness, but there's also a certain malevolence there. Do you know who Thomas is? No, I don't think so. I hear Thomas being called mm. around this child, and they're very clear about Thomas. They will not take the name away. There's not a lot of wealth here. Okay, as well. Not for the child. All right, not a lot of wealth, not a lot of loving, not a lot of comfort. What I'm being gifted um, through spirit and through my own inner feeling is that he was seen as a devil child. When I got to his eyes, my hands rose. Okay, right. it was intense fire, and that's all I saw coming from him. And I do believe that this child was probably a fire starter. Okay. I feel this child was very misunderstood. He did not have a long life either. All right, he did not have a long life. I'm feeling his death was quite traumatic. And maybe he died in a fire. It all bore a striking resemblance to the story I'd read on the internet. But was I in danger? This actually can be cleansed. Yeah. This yes. can be cleansed. Yes. Okay, it will take Ralph and I probably a couple of days to really work hard on this, but this could be cleansed of the negativity and the fire starting. Yeah, the, the, that, that, that painting could be exercised this beyond any be doubt whatsoever. This was a relief, but I didn't have enough time for the full exorcism. Annie, however, told me she had already taken some of the negativity away, and before I set off, she and Ralph gave me some extra protection. We'll give you what we call the gifu, which is an, an appoint, anointing on the forehead, which will give you protection. So when you're taking this painting around, you are protected anyway, so you need to have any apprehension or negative thoughts about it. OK, yeah. I anoint you with the holy gifu of protection. So much it be. So much it be. Next, I wanted to see whether the world of science could provide any clues as to how the painting had apparently survived the fires it may or may not have started. So, building research established... There was only one thing left to do. Quiz some boffins about the baffling cursed top pick. Or rather, ask some scientists to test the painting in a fire. Reception. I made an appointment at the building research establishment where, amongst other things, they set fire to stuff to see what happens. Hello, Martin. Hi. Martin Ship is technical development director of fire safety, and he was the man charged with helping me do what detectives like to do 
stage a reconstruction. The laboratory we're going into is a hazardous area, so we do have to wear safety equipment for going into this laboratory. Martin brought down the shutters on the vast laboratory in preparation for the experiment to solve this ashes-to-ashes style 80s mystery. Never mind firing up the quattro, it was time to fire up the bregoline. And now I'll go and light the match and see what happens. Make sure the, the match is established. In the trade, they call this the match test, which meant that Martin was holding a test match. Okay, well, I'm just applying the, the match. It is a long match, so it's, we'll have a few, few seconds to subject it to heat. Um, but the painting was the, more than a match for it. Paper, but it hasn't actually ignited. It was time to turn up the heat, turn on the extractors, and switch to a bigger flame. So when we're all ready, I'll, I'll light the fire. Okay? Yes. Uh, in order to enhance the scientific credibility of this test, we're actually filming this. It's quite a big flame. The flame is now about two feet high. It is slowly inching towards the figure. Just, just the lapel of his jacket has uh, disappeared now. There's a hole in the bottom right-hand corner of the painting, but the flames don't appear to be uh, spreading across. Definitely dying down now. In fact, it's now time to put the sausages on. Well, you'd have to say that has not caught fire. The painting had a hole in it from where the fire had touched it, but the flames hadn't spread. But you'd have to say that fire's pretty much going out. Martin, though, was a man of science and not given to superstition. For him, the unvarnished truth might be in the varnish. I'm a bit surprised. I think it's probably been coated in something which is resisting the... Uh resisting the flames, whether it's actually some sort of fire retardant coating they put on the picture, or whether it's just some other coating which happens to have fire retardant properties. But he had one more experiment to conduct on the string which held the picture up. And I'm just going to put a match to that string just to see whether the string itself burns or whether it just melts through. It's kind of glowing like a filament. There it goes, gone. Yeah. So I think that what we can deduce from that is that if the flames if the flames got round the picture, the string would probably be the first thing to go. As, you can, as you've just seen, the spring burns quite easily, even with a single match, for a very few seconds. So my, my hypothesis here would be that if the, if the picture did get attacked by a fire, it would have fallen off the wall quite early on in the fire. So when they fall down, the only direction they can fall is forward onto yeah. their face. And then, of course, at that point, the, the actual picture is protected against the fire. So that may be, it may be a, a, a theory for why these pictures have survived the fires. So, Art Hex nixed by string theory. This was a sound explanation for why the pictures didn't burn. Although, of course, it would apply to all pictures hanging from string. And it didn't tell me who the little boy was. So I hoped Dr David Clark of Sheffield University might know. He's tried to verify the dramatic story of Diablo. No matter how much you try and trace it to its origins, you just end up in a fog. However, it turned out that Dr Clark had tracked down a source for the internet story. As far as I was able to ascertain, the narrative story can only be traced back as far as 2000 when this first appeared in printed form. The original story was un uncovered by, quote, a well-respected researcher into occult matters who was a retired schoolmaster from Devon named George Mallory. Now, 
I've done what I can to try and find this person, and as far as I can see, there is no such person. Your guess is as good as mine. Who is George Mallory? Please come forward. And your call will be treated in confidence. Hi, Tracy, it's Punt here. As I constructed my report for Tracy, I wanted to poo-poo the oil-based fire theory once and for all, but something in those eyes made me water it down. Conclusions, I think, will probably have to be tentative for now. We do know that The Crying Boy was a popular piece of art, and since it was hanging in more houses than most pictures, it would statistically be involved in more house fires than most pictures. Add a flame-resistant coating and the supernatural claims seem to vanish in a puff of smoke. It'll be on your desk tomorrow morning, Tracy. Yes, without fail, Tracy. But as Tracy had said, in matters of the occult, tread carefully. Thanks, Tracy. Okay, goodbye. As I closed the casebook, one partially charred crying boy portrait sat forlornly outside on the porch. I'm not taking any chances. Would you? P.I. was produced by Lawrence Grissel. Tracy was played by Sean Baker. Beyond Westminster is next this morning. That's after the news in a couple of minutes. Looking a little further ahead now, a six-part dramatisation of Michael Dobbs' acclaimed political thriller House of Cards begins over on BBC Radio 4 Extra from Monday evening. Set in the corridors of power, Francis Urquhart has ambitions to move higher up the party, but the Prime Minister has other plans. You're an excellent chief whip. You burrowed into the heart and soul of the Parliamentary Party. You know each one of them inside out. With such a small majority, there might be one or two sticky patches over the next few years. I need a chief whip who's strong enough to handle them. You, Francis. Yes, Prime Minister. House of Cards begins over on Radio 4 Extra on Monday evening at 8. And as I mentioned, as the Labour Party conference approaches beyond Westminster, we'll be looking at different views within the party on what needs to be done to make it more electable.